Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Uh, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits our people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Uh, For the next hour, my guest will be sharing his journey of recovery from compulsive overeating. I'd like to welcome Sam to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Bill, for having me on. No worries. Uh, As a member of Overeaters Anonymous, he's going to share his experience with food obsession and how OA has helped him. Um, Overeaters uh, was started in California in January 1960 and in Melbourne in the mid-70s. Sam, it's nearly two years since OA was on the show before, so it's great to have you back. It's fantastic to be here. I look forward to hopefully spreading some hope about what OA can bring to people's lives. Cool. Um... So we usually start talking about um, growing up and family and the things that sort of influenced you and the impacts on your life. So what was life like for you growing up? Life growing up for me was one of a lot of joy. I had a wonderful family. We did move around a lot. We relocated, I would say, maybe 10 to 12 times as a kid. So there was a lot of inconsistency in terms of friends and relationships I don't know if that was linked to food becoming a solution to just about every problem in my life, but it certainly contributed to uh, a little bit of a feeling of disconnection and, and discontent. Okay. So why do you think you turned to food? What sort of things were, were causing you problems? For as long as I can remember, I've lived most of my days with a sense of disease, Maybe I would call it anxiety or depression. I don't know why that is, but over and over again, that feeling crops up and I never really learned how to deal with it in any other way than to eat food. Yeah, okay. Um, did, did your family have any history of alcohol or drug, drug problems? Yeah, throughout both sides of my family, there's a bit of a history of what today would probably be called alcohol, alcoholism. Yep. Although in the past, I don't know if it was understood necessarily <laughs> to, to be that. Usually minimized. Yeah, usually minimized. Uh, pushed under the rug is another way I would describe it. Um, so I think I had a bit of a genetic predisposition to be seeking out something. Yeah. It just happened to be food. Yeah, okay. Um, so what? did you have any siblings? I do. I've got one sister. Yeah. Um, I've got a mum and a dad and a sister. She and I had a, a really close relationship as kids. And then throughout adolescence, we both had our difficulties and we ended up going our separate ways and have not really had much contact for the past five years, particularly the last few years. In terms of the rest of my family, though, I've got a wonderful relationship with my mum and also a very loving dad. Okay. Um, so both your parents obviously came out of alcohol-affected families. So did it have much of an effect on them that you know? It's a great question, yeah. yeah. My mum has since shared that she experienced issues with food 
as a teenager and early adult. She experienced symptoms that would now probably be described as uh, binging, so consuming food to the point where you're overfull, yeah. and also talked about um, having a diagnosis of bulimia. So okay. food was an issue in her life. Yeah. Um, and I don't know for certain, but I think my dad has also had experiences with some compulsive behaviours in his life. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Most of most most of us, most yeah. of us, <laughs> most of us have, <laughs> have got what's one compulsion or another. Yeah, one or the yeah. other. Sometimes we yeah. just chop and change them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, what about friendships and going to primary school and things like that? It must have been difficult moving around a lot. Yeah, it was. It really, really was. I became very good at being friendly. I yes. became quite good at presenting myself in a way that would, you know, break down the social barriers and create hopefully easy conversation. Um, though I never really learnt to maintain friendships over time. I don't know why that is. Perhaps because we moved around so much, I never had to. I never got the experience of living through some of the tricky times with friends as well as some of the better times. Yeah, I, I think it's about being honest and yeah. open. And, yeah, if you're not if, – if you're sort of not sharing some parts of your life, it's hard. Certainly. Yeah. And, and as food has been an aspect of – factor in my life for a very long time i think i've been hiding from people in one way or another for as long as i can remember yeah 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 it's a bit hard to eat in front of people isn't, isn't it it? <laughs> it certainly is i mean food is a huge part of our culture so we, we do eat in front yeah. of each other all the time uh however the way there are limits. i used food <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> the way i used food it was um not something i felt needed to be shared with anyone else yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit of its selfishness as well. We don't want to share it. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, so, eating can become a comfort. So, how early in your life did that present itself? Very early. Yeah. Very early. My earliest clear memories of seeking out food as a way of easing a sense of discomfort were around year four or five. I was living in a small country town. And we lived just around the corner from the beach, an absolutely beautiful beach. And I can remember leaving the house with the intention of going for a walk. And somehow I would end up at the local service station and I'd buy ice creams and chocolates. And as a kid, I thought that was brilliant. I thought, I've got money. I've got these tasty treats. Life is good. Um, but upon reflection, I, I never really made it to the beach. Yeah. I would find myself just... <laughs> Having these uh, tasty sugary treats and it became quite a confusing thing for many years. Yeah. Uh, so did you enjoy primary school? I don't know if I've ever enjoyed schooling. I've always wanted to go to school and I've wanted to be part of that process of learning. I get quite excited by it. But in terms of enjoying school, it's it's been a challenge all the way through my life. Yeah. Yeah. So why do you think that is? Is it is it anxiety or...? I think so. Yeah. I think so. It's it's hard to say exactly why I found school tricky. These days, I'd, I'd say it's got a lot to do with continually hiding and, and a sense of not being able to share with the people around me what was going on inside. Yeah. Um, but back in the day, it was just because I didn't do my assignments and I didn't want to go to school and I would fight with my parents every day. We would have screaming matches and I would get angry and I'd throw tantrums and you name it, I did it. And my parents patiently, almost doggedly, would just be there going, well, you've got to go to school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this ends one way. 
<laughs> right. So did that continue on to secondary school? Was that yes, a, yeah. absolutely. And as we got into secondary school, I started to develop little bits of independence over time, getting a bike. I was able to yeah. ride to school and then ride away from school. Yeah. And present throughout that whole time was was a sense of disconnection from my own life and disconnection from the people around me. I never really could string together consecutive days of, of showing up for school and assignments and friends and something would always kind of get in the way. So what did your friends think or what did your classmates think? They thought that I was just the naughty kid who yeah. wagged school. Yeah. I think that's my perception these days. Yeah. Um, I was just a bit of a bit of a fool really always got fairly good grades when i showed up but uh didn't show up enough for that to count in the end yeah okay um so what you know going to school if you were anxious at school and Mm -hmm. you came home was the first thing you went for food oh yeah. yeah yeah absolutely so primary, jumping back to primary school for a moment, I can remember looking forward to going home to jump into the cereal and have two or three bowls of cereal, which at the time I thought was fine. Yeah. I'd been encouraged to boys yeah. eat. Eat up, yeah. Yeah, eat up, <laughs> eat up your food. I know you're full, but just keep eating. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what guys do. They eat as much as they want. Yeah. And I thought, all right, I'll, I'll eat as much as I want. You, you just watch me. Uh, then in high school, yeah, I just would eat a lot of food. Yeah. Yeah, I would leave school and hide and go to supermarkets and eat enough till I was painfully full Yeah. or needing to sort of fall asleep. Yeah. So what about when you went home to eat a meal? What was that like? It was interesting because quite often I was still full from the day. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> just had to find ways of pretending it wasn't happening. <laughs> so I was lying to myself yeah. and I was lying to my family and you know, everyone else. Mm. Uh, yeah, it, there's been many an occasion where I've dreaded dinner time because I've spent <laughs> the day <laughs> eating myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so did you use um, sport and exercise as a way to try and Big control time. things? Absolutely, yeah. I didn't have the awareness to recognise, or the honesty, I guess, to recognise that food was such an issue. But what I could do is play sport. Um, I could play tennis or row, go to the gym. And by doing that, most summers ended up being quite nice because I'd play sport over summer. School would start, winter would start, and I'd do a bit less exercise. And that external support mechanism would fall away. Yep. And in would slide the food. Yeah. So it must have affected your weight. Yes. Yeah. yeah, my weight's gone up and down my whole life. I've always been what I think would be considered a bit overweight. Yeah. And it wasn't until moving to Melbourne a few years ago where I fell away from a lot of my regular support networks and the weight started to really blossom, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> Accumulate. <laughs> Accumulate, yes. Okay. Um, so it mustn't have been a very enjoyable time being at secondary school if you were so disconnected. No, it wasn't. And... I feel the need to say that I went to a really great school. Mm. I was supported by the school in the best way they knew how. Um, I went to school with some really lovely people. And what I remember of the time is a sense of not being able to connect with that space. And that that dis-ease always at 
feeling unable to show up in a way that felt true to my core values. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was an uncomfortable time. There were lots of lovely memories as well. Um, but given that I'm here to talk about OA, let's just keep yeah. it on the theme. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so did did other people realise that eating was a problem to you? You know, I don't know. Yeah. I thought I did a really good job of hiding it. In fact, I put a lot of mental <laughs> energy into finding different ways to hide that I was eating. Um, I, I think people noticed particularly partners would notice that I had weird behaviors around food. Yeah. Um, I've had a couple of partners who would try and keep chocolate in the cupboard and be perplexed at how often that would disappear right as they wanted to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> Just over and over again. <laughs> Strange, isn't it? Strange how that happens. Yep. Yeah. Um, so did, during your teens, did anybody suggest you should do something about it? No. No, during my teens people suggested seeing a psychologist people suggested seeing a psychiatrist both of which i did on a couple of occasions uh people suggested i make sure i keep my exercise up because that's really good for your mental health and it is uh people suggested i do all sorts of things but i don't know if anyone knew about the food okay it's what that's what makes me think that maybe i did do a fairly good job of hiding it yeah yeah okay um so um, did you have a lot of people during their their teens if they've if they've got any anxiety problems turn to drug and alcohol? So did yeah. you have any attempts at that? I did. Throughout year eleven and twelve, I went pretty hard at alcohol, particularly my first attempt at year twelve. Why I was drinking a lot in the early days. By early days, I mean throughout the first and second terms. Yeah. I have since really moved away from alcohol. And I also, during the year 11 and 12 kind of years, did explore marijuana as well. Um, And that, again, I have moved away from in a way where it wasn't working for me. It made me feel bad over time. And so I thought, I'm not going to keep doing this. Yeah. But but with food, I have not been able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, So with, with school given that you're wagging it a bit. Um, oh, a bit's generous. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> so um, the school must have been doing things to try and keep you there and get you through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they were. So were you open to that? That is an interesting question, Bill. <laughs> I, think, I don't think I was. Yeah. I don't think I wanted to be there. And yet some part of me really, really could appreciate that I needed to be there and that that was where my future lay in being able to attend school in that way and and being able to show up for learning in an academic sense. Um, Yeah, but yeah, I resisted at every turn (laughs) without doubt. Yeah. So, you know, getting towards the um, end of high school or secondary school... um, you know, it's about the time when we get a bit of independence. So what was it like becoming independent? For me, becoming independent was getting a job. Yep. It was getting a car. And once those two things came together, and it happened while I was still at high school, it was party time for eating. Yep. Because then I had my safe space. 
yeah. where I could go, whether I was happy, sad, frustrated, whether school was going well or not, I could go to my car, drive somewhere secluded, and I'll put my laptop on the floor and I'll just watch hours and hours of TV shows or the internet and eat. And, and I would be alone and eating and not really know why I was doing it. I don't think I thought about it at the time. It just felt like the only option. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, uh, we might take a quick break. Goongara Environment Centre and Wildlife of the Central Highlands have started an email action for the threatened Greater Glider. Over 25% of the glider's habitat has been burnt in the fires and 90% of areas set aside for protection by the government last year have also burned. Yet their habitat is still being logged in the Central Highlands. Go to gecko.org.au to send an email to government ministers to call for protection of all remaining Greater Glider habitat. Goongara Environment Centre Office is a 3CR supporter. Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne, bringing you conversations with farmhouse cheesemakers and dairy producers. The first Sunday of the month at 7am on your favourite station, 3CR, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. Ah, you're listening to the Living Free Show on 3CR, Community Radio. 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Interested in listening to our other podcasts of our show? Well, we have about 120 podcasts available uh, on our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. And that um, website also provides details of how you can get in contact with us by phone, email and Twitter. Uh, Today I'm talking with Sam about recovery from food addiction with the help of Overeaters Anonymous. Um, Sam, we were sort of talking about you know secondary school and the anxiety and depression and coping with uh, life by eating, but I understand you it became too much for you at one point. Yeah, yeah. So one of the common themes throughout my life from around fifteen or sixteen is a tendency to end up in suicidal ruminations and. In my experience, there's been a bit of a difference between ruminating on the hopelessness and despair that can you know, emerge in any of us and then actively taking steps towards uh, ending my own life or our own lives. And around uh, year 12, so when I was about 17, I did have an attempt to end my own life and fortunately I had a really close friend nearby and they came and picked me up. Uh, Fortunately I reached out to them and they took me to the hospital and and I got fixed up. And one of the interesting things for me from that moment was rather than a sense of gratitude that it all happened uh, or that I was still here, I actually felt shame that I hadn't gone through with it. And somehow that shame managed to just sort of simmer and, and... sink into me and there there have been numerous times throughout my life where I've 
been quite deep in that in that suicidal ideation or the the sense of hopelessness that whatever I tried to do in life always ended up back in food or, or not quite not quite manageable. And so again in 2017, I think I had a an attempt and and pulled out of that one as well. Right, that's so good. It's been a common theme, and interestingly, since joining the OA program, that has disappeared. Yeah. Since joining the community of people who are all sharing hope and support. Yeah, yeah. The, th- the thing I learned about hopelessness is that it's an attitude. Yeah. It it's not a it's not a destination, if you like, and yeah. it's the way I perceive something, and so that can change. Yeah, and I think hopelessness is fostered in isolation. Yeah. In a yeah. lot of ways. St- was it stoked? Stoked. Yeah. <laughs> it simmers. Simmers, yeah. Okay. Um, so leaving high school then, um, putting that sort of behind you, if you yeah. like, um, what was next, work or uni? Some part of me has had a dogged drive to have success <laughs> academically in my life at some point. So uh, I've worked all the way through in various jobs, whether that be hospitality or laboring, anything to support me while I repeatedly attempt some sort of study. I had a, a go at uni straight out of high school after my second attempt at year 12 and then had a go at a diploma when that didn't work out. Uh, I'm now on my second attempt at a third attempt of a, uni, <laughs> of a study course. That sounds complicated. <laughs> no, it's very complicated. But the, the main theme is some part of me just wants to do this and I keep getting uh, waylaid. Yeah. So why do you think study was so so much of a problem to you? That's a really good question. Yeah. Uh, one that I'm working on with a psychologist at the moment. <laughs> you know, we're trying to get to the bottom of that one. Okay, I won't solve it then. I, I don't know if we can right now. I would I would say that in terms of keeping this uh, on topic, one of the reasons it was so tricky is that hidden amongst all of the behavioural stuff around learning that came up over time was my continual escape into food right you know stressful period around study start grazing on things and end up binging it's not the only factor but it's a hidden contributor that was never really addressed until the last year so did that um focus on food take you away from the activity oh big time yeah absolutely so complete distraction complete distraction and and it was a complete distraction that I wasn't even fully aware of necessarily, mm. um, but that I'd end up diving into and getting wrapped up in alongside a, you know, a sense of unmanageability with the studies was this escape into food that was always there. You know, it, it's easy. Yeah. Um, and, and doing it alone meant that nobody could sort of observe you or mm. help you or Absolutely. Notice, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't alone in those times. I've, I've always been very lucky to have family support that's continually there. And whilst I haven't got great skills at maintaining friendships long term, yeah. um, I do manage to find myself surrounded by lovely people most places I go. So I'm very grateful for that. Okay. Um, so not completing a uni course is, can be difficult. So to let... To let yeah. them to, to get them to let you to start again or to you know restart. Yes. So what did you need to do to be able to get them to? Well, what continue? I've done is um, go to a different institution. Okay. Right. And just enrol again, and we'll see what happens there. I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what about work then? Could 
could you focus on work when you had all this pull towards food? Yes, no is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> yes, great question. And uh, no, I would spend hours at work trying to focus on what I was doing, but be pulled away by something. And, and now it wasn't always obviously that I wanted to go and eat something. It's more subtle and, and nuanced than that, as everything is in life. Yeah. Um, like a sidetrack. Yeah. Like a sidetrack, like a, a, a constant sense of needing to reach out for something to find a sense of fulfillment in the moment and not having what I was doing at the time be enough. Um, a lot, I've, I've had other people on the show who one guy um, would get up, he'd have breakfast at home, you'd jump in the car to drive to work, he'd go to a Hungry Jack's, get a burger or something and drive across town. I've only been on the show once. How did you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> how did you know about that? But before he got to work on the other side, he'd go to McDonald's or something, get another burger, and then he'd go to work and he'd sit and he'd have breakfast. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your take on <laughs> so, that? <laughs> so for me, that sort of behavior wasn't happening until probably two years ago, a year or two ago. Yeah. Um, my typical pattern was more... And I guess this speaks to the fact that people in OA can come from a whole range of backgrounds, every single background, and have presentations of compulsive food behaviours from every spectrum. It can come from anything. So that's a really similar thing to what I experienced, but it presented itself slightly differently. Mine was more after work at night time. I didn't know how to get home from work without stopping somewhere on the way. I would have every intention of going home, just making dinner and having a night at home, but I would end up at a service station and then I'd drive past the golden arches and then I'd drive to some more golden arches and I'd end up in my car watching YouTube videos until 11, 12 o'clock at night and by that stage the shame had set in so I wasn't wanting to be around people and Mm. then I would wait till my housemates went to sleep and uh, then I would sort of go in and almost pass out really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard work. It's, it's, it's tough, eh? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so what about relationships? You're in your early 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Relationships have been tricky. Um, it's, I imagine, very hard to be in a relationship with someone who is living in and experiencing compulsions and not able to live their own life. Um, I have I had one quite significant relationship we've had two significant relationships but one in particular was when I was around 23 24 and that person introduced me to a yoga practice and and through that yoga practice and their unconditional love and support for a long time I was able to live life a little bit more free and a little bit more stable Um, and that yoga practice started to get me in touch with some of the things that we that I've since learned in the OA program as well, but just under a different set of language and yeah. practices. Yeah. yeah, it's about connection with yourself, yeah. really. Yeah. yeah, Connection with myself and to all those things around me, like friends, family, institutions, mm. the weather, being outside. Yeah, so that person, that relationship came to an end and, and I, I think it came to its natural conclusion because I was living with a need for emotional fulfillment and physical fulfillment that they one human can never supply Um, and so i'm quite glad that relationship ended they left me yeah and i think it's one of the best things that could have happened and i'm really quite amazed that they had the 
had the boundaries in themselves to recognize this isn't okay and it's time to move on to the next thing. Yeah, it's called detachment. Yeah, yeah, detachment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. yeah, if you don't if you if you don't know where you end, then you get yeah. involved in someone else's life. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. So the boundary is where I finish. That's the end of my responsibilities. Like, yeah. yeah. It's a tricky thing to learn. I think we yeah. all kind of are always learning it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. So you you established it as a fairly stable situation in that yeah. relationship. So what happened when it, when that ended? Well, when that ended, I was, I had through that relationship gotten back into study for one of the times. I had uh, started facilitating yoga classes. I was quite engaged with the world, and that relationship ended. The following year, I managed to stay engaged. I managed to stay working in the yoga field. I managed to stay studying, but I had a vice grip on life. I wasn't. I was. I was. Getting by because I was doing my practices every single day. And if I missed them, it was just days away from falling apart. Mm. And at the end of that year I, is when I moved to Melbourne. Yeah. And why did you move to Melbourne? I moved to Melbourne to because the course I was studying in Adelaide had a fairly narrow scope. Yeah. And I was looking to find one with a more broad scope. And also the work I was doing at the time had a bigger community and a more diverse community than Adelaide's. What resulted was that... None of the things that I'd planned to do in moving to Melbourne came to pass. Right. Plus, yeah. you would have lost all your friends and contacts. Big time. So I was staying afloat with the support of a great network in Melbourne. Oh, sorry, in Adelaide. And in moving to Melbourne, I was once again able to isolate in a very effective way. I had a car and some money, had some savings. Um. But I didn't have a job, and and when I first moved over, that meant that immediately I was free time. Free time, yeah. And free time does not necessarily go well for me. Um, the relationship I was in at the time also was with someone who needed support that was more than I could give, and part of that's to do with the fact that I didn't know how to support myself anyway. Yeah. So it was almost <clears throat> always destined to be. A fairly rocky road and, and it proved to be one in the end yeah so did you find yourself being lost in the relationship big time yeah yeah in the same way in a similar way to the way i got lost in the previous relationship yep. um this one was with a person who themselves needed quite a lot of support and they engaged with it um i became one of those support people and almost immediately for myself things fell apart so i got quite lost in that and really lost a sense of which way was up for a long time. Yeah. So what did you do as a result? Well, I kept with the theme. <laughs> I got in my car. <laughs> right. <laughs> Jump in my car. Jump in my car. <laughs> yeah. I turned to food. Yeah. And even at that point, I didn't necessarily know I was doing it. Um, I would be trying to go to uni and I would be trying to go to work. And yet I would spend nights in my car eating. Or I would go to go to friends' houses and I would grab something to eat on the way. And from moving to Melbourne, that's when this compulsion, this unmanageability really stepped up a notch. Yeah. And the last three years have been quite a blow. Yeah. So how much time were you spending in the car each day? Well, it depends what month we're talking about. If yeah. we're talking about the months leading up to OA, when I first came into a meeting, at that point I was not working very much. 
I'd pretty much run out of money. I wasn't able to afford rent, so I was living with a family member. And I was spending anywhere from four hours a day up to sometimes even 10 hours a day if I didn't have work on Yeah, in my car. Yeah. That's pretty sad, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty sad. Yeah. yeah, it's not nice stuff to talk about. No. And I would hope that if anyone's listening and hears some of the stuff I'm saying about it, being a kid and being an adolescent and resonates with it, that maybe they step into an OA meeting a little bit before life ends up at the point it did for me. <laughs> before the car. <laughs> before, before the days in the car. Okay. So when did someone suggest an intervention to you? That is a great question. The first person that I can remember mentioning OA as an intervention is my mum. And that happened around February last year. In terms of an intervention for mental health, though, I've been suggested psychologists and psychiatrists throughout my whole life. Um, I've tried many, many things. And as is often the case with people in OA and many other 12-step programs, they've tried just about everything. In terms of OA, people try diets, they try lifestyle interventions, they try exercising, restricting, binging, purging, you name it, they try it. Um, But it was my mum in February 2019 who sat me down and said, something needs to happen. You can't keep going like this. And and what what did you think when she said that? that she... At that point, I was ready to listen. Okay. At that point, I said, I was so overwhelmed and so clearly knew that I was out of control that I was willing to do whatever she suggested. Yep. So did you, could you share with her the fact that you had an eating problem or not? She knew somehow. I suspect I'd started talking about it at some point. But to be completely honest, I don't remember at what point that was. I don't remember how much I started to share. Uh, Sometime since arriving in Melbourne, though, that has become something that we've talked about. Um, It became something I started talking about with a psychologist as well. It wasn't why I was seeing them, but that came up. Yeah. And also a partner at the time, I I think I started sharing it with them. Okay, so um, if you're eating a lot, you must have been growing in size. And also it must have been costing you a lot. It cost me all of my savings. It cost me all of a inheritance, not all of, but just about all of a inheritance that I got from a grandparent. Um, It cost me everything really in terms of finances i would be spending hundreds hundreds of dollars a week and yet in the moment each time i purchased something it wasn't that much yeah and then i would do that three times in a night sometimes only once in a night but five times in a week and i was living in such deep denial of the fact that i was spending so much money and i'm sure there are people that can relate to this but we know what we're doing. Like I knew what I was spending and how much I was spending, that it was too much. But at the same time, I just continued to not look at my bank statements and have just enough to pay rent and then the rest was a free-for-all. Wow. That's fun times. (laughs) Fun times. Amazing. So (laughs) 
it, it, it also affects your health and, and your well-being. It does. Um, yeah. yeah. So were there any medical issues? There were medical issues in the sense that my blood pressure started to sit very high. Um, I put on around 25 to 30 kilos over the course of really what ended up being about two years. Um, I've previously put on weight to in the past, but I would regularly then exercise a lot and it would come down. So I've managed it in that way. Yeah. But when I wasn't exercising, it really we blew up. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so coming to OA then, so what's it like going to your first meeting and realising that there's other people who have the same problem? I think I'd start by saying my first contact with OA was with the person whose phone number was down as the meeting contact because yep. on the OA website yep. there's a meeting section and each meeting has a name next to it. I text that person and they message me back with a very friendly response. They said there's nothing to bring along, there's no fees or anything, just show up, it's all good. And they didn't need to say much and they, and I love that they didn't say much because it made it really normal. It was clearly just part of their life that they did every day. Yep. So when I got to the meeting, it was about half an hour early and I sat there just willing myself with all my might to not leave, <laughs> to not, <laughs> not walk away. It. Not and, wag it, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, the meeting that I went to first was uh, next to a park and it was a beautiful day. And so I thought, it's a beautiful day. It's a park. I feel horrible. This needs to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something's not right in this equation. I feel awful. And I walked into the meeting, sat down, and everyone's experience is different. For me, I felt relief yep. immediately. Yep. And I, you'd also yeah. already heard about 12 Steps. So I had, how yeah. did you hear that? So a friend of the family, as when I was a teenager, had seen something in me in the way I was using marijuana, in the way I was drinking, and quite possibly in the way my weight was fluctuating. And they had been a member of NA for 20 plus years. Yeah. They brought me along to an NA meeting and said, okay, this might be something that you'd be interested in. They were right. Yeah. <laughs> it took 10 years, but they were right. Yeah. Good. Um, and so listening to other people share, you know, yes. it's called identifying. Yes. But you know, what did you feel about the fact that other people had your problems, your I experience? Felt, I felt the loneliness and the isolation start to drip away. It was as though someone was just blowing through my body and blowing away little by little that vice group of isolation. Because amazingly, I thought I was special. I thought I was the only one in the world yeah. that did this. I thought I was the only one, even though I knew intellectually people have issues with food in every country around the world, yeah. I thought, nah, no one has this issue. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one does what I do. Terminally unique. Terminally unique. And yeah. then, as it turns out, there's a room of 15 people all sharing a variation on the same story. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> right. Okay. So what's it like now? What? How often do you go to NA meet, uh, to OA meetings? OA meetings? Yeah. No NA meetings for now. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's going to be necessary, but who knows what will happen in the future. Uh, OA meetings, I have the benefit at the moment of not not working full-time. Yeah. So I'm going to three meetings a week, and that seems to be a good level for now. I go to uh, – the meetings are held all around Melbourne. So if anyone's looking out, you can access that on the website. But I have one meeting in particular, which I call my home group. 
And that's the first meeting I went to, and it's the meeting that I've almost never missed unless I've been interstate. So at that meeting, I'm the secretary, which means that I just do a little bit of admin and organizing week to week and also volunteer as the social coordinator. So after each meeting, we catch up at the pub nearby and have a cup of tea and have a chat outside of the structure of the meeting. Yeah. And it's uh, it's really friends. I have made the best friends, some of the best friends I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Yep. The thing about 12-step program friends is that they know you better than your family. They absolutely do. Yeah. <laughs> they do. We good. come from a diverse background. The meetings are as diverse as the communities within which they happen yep. because anyone from any walk of life can be affected by some form of compulsion. Um, food's no different. And yet we're, we have a common interest in that we've had this history and we have found for the, a solution that works for us in the Alcoholics Anonymous 12 Steps. Yeah. Okay. Um, so things improve once you address um, your primary problem. Yeah. Um, particularly relationships. Things things are easier once you can talk about what's happening in your life instead of hiding it. So they certainly are, <laughs> yeah. How have they improved? Friendships have improved because I've been able to show up at events. I've been able to show up for friends and housemates and I was hiding in all sorts of ways in order to keep it secret that I was eating in a way that was not comfortable or okay I was having to lie in all sorts of ways and and I don't do that at, at the moment today yeah financially I'm more stable which means I can join in on things more and I'm making friends both in and outside of the OA community that feel like some of the closest friends I've ever had. Okay. Um, how about with your parents? Yep. My relationship with my parents is stronger than it's ever been. And a significant part of that is that my impression of that relationship, my feelings towards that relationship are changing and evolving in a way they haven't previously changed and evolved because I've hidden everything under food and and other behaviours. So I've got a really strong relationship with my mum. And my dad and I aren't quite as close, but we do. I'm still loved by him and, and love him a lot. Yep. Yeah. Okay. My sister and I don't talk, uh, but in time, that relationship will most likely change. Yeah. With some work on myself and a little bit of time, hopefully. Yeah. That's right. Things do change. And, and as, long as, you're open, as long as you're open to change, yeah. things are possible. Yeah. Um, things aren't possible if you're closed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, what about, you know, part of the 12 steps is actually doing the steps. So how are you finding the steps? That's a great question. So there's two parts to this process. In my experience, we've got the community that we, that I interact with on an almost daily basis. And then the 12 steps of OA, which are the AA 12 steps with the word alcohol replaced with food. Yep. So it's the same program, just adapted for um, the various food behaviors people have. My experience with that is that I'm about halfway through my first you know, attempt at the 12 steps. I'm working with the most amazing sponsor. So that's a person who works with me quite closely on the more practical side of this program. And in terms of practicality, there's some writing, there's some reflection. Um, there's a lot of talk 
um, particularly in the early stages around what is happening, what is yeah. this program, and and what it might look like in a living in my in my lived life. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So part of you know the steps is step four, looking at yourself and looking at um, the way you think. Mm-hmm. And so, what have you uncovered in in your approach to life? Interesting. So I am working step four and five at the same time, which are essentially a step four is a process of reflecting on life and some of our more deeply held beliefs and fears. And then step five is handing that over to another person. And through my work in step four, I'm finding a lot of fear, a lot of fears that I've held on to for years and years. Um, A lot of things that some part of me already knew, but has never but I've never had the space or stability to sit with those feelings and even recognize what they are. Yeah, it's uh, fear is certainly one of the big ones that's coming up. Um, regret as well is a big one. I, I carry around a, a lot of regret, as you might be able to hear in my story around mm. study. A lot of that is looking back with regret and through handing that over to another person and just talking with them, I'm little by little starting to feel those things and let them move through my body rather than be held on to. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, okay. Well, listen, if anybody would like some more info about Overeaters Anonymous, um, then it's available on their website, oa.org.au, uh, or you can email them on oa.melb at gmail.com. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Sam for sharing his Overeaters Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Bill. No worries. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about living with the family disease of alcoholism and we'll be joined by some members of Al-Anon family groups. Stay tuned now for Alternative, a new program on 3CR. And thanks for listening to the Living Free program today. And to take us out, we've got a song called Pleasure and Pain by the Divinals.